Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a great Monday show recruiting primer for you with Weldon Rodenberg, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist. Uh, a little bit about some of the guys that Ole Miss is chasing here in the late late portions uh, leading up to the early signing period, but a lot more about the process, uh, what goes into it on the inside over these final few days, official visit weekends, things like that. Just getting some guys, uh, getting a guy's insight for who uh, actually worked in it. So I think you'll enjoy this. A lot of good uh, tidbits and nuggets in there, a couple of good stories as well. Got into some Jeff Levy stuff, uh, you know, Ole Miss quarterback situation and um, who's going to be the quarterback next year, as well as Soccer Corner, the fastest-growing segment on American soil. So we got a great Monday show for you. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Skybox went up plus 18.7 units. In college basketball this weekend, guess who did not do that? Probably you out there probably having to pay your uh, bookie on a Monday. You don't want that. You want the man paying you. Skybox will consistently do that more so than your own knowledge and your own brain. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Daily free plays on the site. Just free money. College basketball, daily free plays. They went 3-0 and last Saturday, I believe, or this past Saturday. I got tagged in a tweet. I think that was over one day. Check them out skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. You need to use these guys. Don't rely on your own wisdom. It's not going to work. They're going to consistently lead you to profit. Go check out one of their packages. Use the promo code RIPPY. Get 20% off. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg right now if you're a RIPPY Rights subscriber. That's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a newsletter from me three to five times a week plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce uh, prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Go in there, show proof of subscription, grab that, and then go find all your favorite uh, – find your own favorite items there. Uh, it's crab stuff, mushrooms, all kinds of fresh seafood, sausages. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Greg wants your grilling experience to be great. You need to check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Podcast also brought to you by – Manscaped. That's right, Manscaped. You need to join the over 2 million men that trust Manscaped to uh, handle everything in men's grooming. Precision tools for your jewels. Lawnmower 4.0 model. Nice little LED light on that thing. Portable charger. You need to check them out. I heard the 70s were a wild time, but Manscaped is here to make that sure that's a thing of the past. You need to be all groomed and kempt down there. We can't have be having things get out of control. Manscaped.com. They are here. The experts in men's grooming, they're here to make sure that you have some nice, smooth boys, and make me time in the bathroom your favorite time in the bathroom. Check them out, manscaped.com. Use the promo code MPW, get 20% off. Here's Weldon Rodenberg on a uh, packed recruiting show. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg here to talk some recruiting stuff. We'll get into some Jeff Levy, probably hit some various topics, and really just wanted to get what, in the, pro- what the process is like from the uh, inside over the last couple of days. You were in Houston this weekend, just kind of hanging out. I did the same thing, played some golf. It was uh, it was really kind of the first weekend without football at all. I like the Army-Navy game as much as the next guy, but it's not the most entertaining watch. Um, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, yeah. Nothing special this weekend. Uh, stayed in town, played some golf and some 50-mile-an-hour wins and uh, just watched football all day. It's been a pretty relaxing weekend. Some some cool little Houston uh, Christmas 
kind of festivities around town, but uh, good stuff. Nothing crazy. There you go. We were playing. So we were on the way to play golf this morning at a city course in like Southeast Dallas. And I actually, so I'm bad sometimes when we go play to not show up in time to hit balls and warm up and all that, just roll up to the first tee and just give it a rip. So I decided I was going to wake up early this time. I was like, I'm going to go hit some balls. I hadn't played in a while. Like make sure I have plenty of time, maybe and get some food out there. I ran into the Dallas marathon, which apparently took up just every possible street in the city. There was literally no way to get around. A 10 minute drive turned into about a 50 minute one. Um, so I am actually, uh, I think I'm anti-marathon now. I'm not, I'm not asking you to go on one side of the debate. I know it's sweeping the nation. I just, why can they not, why can marathons not happen? Like, I don't know. in like a course, like you don't see like paintball guys just being like, let's go pepper the city with paintballs. Um, Cause you know, it's our annual deal. I, maybe I'm being too harsh, but it really pissed me off to be honest. Yeah. I, I remember in bat, like lived in, in Baton Rouge, they would have these like biking, you know, not marathons, but these biking tracks and these marathons. And all of a sudden it's like a Sunday morning driving to church or whatever. And then there's every street's blocked off and nobody knows about it. And you just have to react to it. And, as you know, the infrastructure in Baton Rouge is shit, so you can't you can't even get around it. Never knew it was coming, so I'm I'm on your side on that. Okay, good. I'm glad. Maybe I'm the only one. I, we probably have some marathon runners that listen to this podcast, so I apologize. I'm not anti-marathon. I just don't understand why it has to happen on city streets. That was that was a very uh, that was a very cranky way to start my morning. I had to download the Waves app or whatever the hell it's Wave, called because like Wave. the weight is weight is a W A Y. Uh, W-A-Z-E-W-A-Z, yeah. Okay, so that's what I had to download. Uh, someone already at the course sent it to me. But, like, because, like, the Google Maps or whatever doesn't, like, obviously it's not accounting for a marathon. Apparently the other one has a little more local feel to it. I don't know, but it was uh, it was quite, quite annoying. So I guess I'm not anti-marathon. I'm anti-marathon on public streets. Kind of the same deal with biking. But uh, anyway, more important news. It is uh, kind of the early signing period Recruitapalooza type thing. It, this used to, you know, the days of the February signing period, not having the early one, it was very much more like structured. You'd have the big like Recruitapalooza weekends in January, and then the buildup was a little more dramatic. Hell, when we were in college, like National Signing Day was almost like a holiday. That was the height of the freeze thing. And it's just different now. That's probably a good place to start. As working in it or as a fan or whatever, do you like the early signing period or do you dislike it? it it's – I think it's a great concept that has been poorly Im- implemented. Um, just the, the schedule change and the timing around college football really doesn't bring too much to an early signing day anymore. Um, but it also brings up just from a roster building standpoint, the transfer portal, it just creates a lot of issues after coaching changes, you know, kids decommit like the Florida kid, you know, he decommitted from Florida. Now he has like 40 schools calling him and he has like five days to decide. And he's probably never been to half of them. Now he can obviously just wait till February, but if he, if he's an early enrollee, that probably screws up his, his timing and everything. So it's, there's a lot of unintended consequences that came with it. I think the concept makes a ton of sense, uh, but I just don't think it, it's probably too difficult to change it. So I think we're going to have it for a while, but there are definitely some issues that have come up that probably weren't anticipated. And that's on like the recruit side and the, the staffing side. So 
it, it'll be interesting to see. I think this transfer portal thing really kind of muddies the water with how these coaches handle whether they want kids to wait to sign, you know, how they want to recruit them. And it's, it's a weird dynamic that I think you're seeing a lot of staffs around the country have to deal with. Yeah. It's a, you, as you mentioned, it's like an unintended consequence. I, you may have covered it there for a second. I I've had my mic went mute for a minute, but do you know why, like what was the incentive to do it? Do you remember or know it all? I just, it just kind of happened. It was there and everyone was like, okay, like, I don't remember exactly what the, the incentive for wanting to do it was. Yeah. I don't remember. It just kind of. Um, I don't remember what, what the concept was. I think there was a lot of people pushing. I feel like I remember Jimbo Fisher saying that he was pushing for like an August signing period. Interesting. So like these kids, if they just knew where they wanted to go, get done with the recruiting process, focus on whatever you know their season. They could just sign in August and that'd be done. Um, that clearly didn't happen. But I don't remember the exact um genesis of the arguments for or against the early signing period but we have it i think there's some some pros some cons but it feels like the cons and just like sheer organizationally there's uh definitely some issues one of the unintended consequences and i'm not even 100 percent sure it's fair to call it that of the early signing period when you have a coaching change if you're not on the ball to get with like the coach, like get your staff in, not only hire a new coach, but kind of try to get your staff in. It's already kind of a shit show regardless. Like it almost, I never, I guess I wasn't around covering things when Ole Miss had a coaching change pre-freeze because post-freeze, even it was a little different and even the Kiffin stuff, it's kind of a, a truncated time window. And I just felt like you had more time, you know, when it was only February signing period. But like I covered Kiffin's first recruiting class and Luke's a little bit, even though it was different. It was, I don't want to say like a wash or a mulligan, but it was like, okay, let's just kind of see what the best they can do type of thing. Cause I don't know what the realistic expectations were for his staff to have that little time to recruit. You, you experienced it with the staff change. You stayed on with Kevin for a year when you get everything in order, how big of a, uh, I guess it's a rush. Like how big of a rush it is to get organized and how hard is that to play catch up uh, in those kind of weeks when you change staff, and, you know, you have like 12 days or something sometimes to recruit kids. Yeah, it definitely takes, you know, we were there and a, a few of us were just kind of, I don't even know what the word is, kind of working after Coach Luke got fired just in a vacuum. You <laughs> just, told you this know. story before, the the the, the guy saying, uh, you're going to be a great player somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you just walk in was, and it's pointless. <laughs> yeah, and – um. But that's that's a huge point, and I think it's why you see these coaches continue to recruit for the schools they're at, whether they get fired. Because if you don't, then you're, uh, you know, invalidating your contract, and you can right. get fired for cause. And you know, it's it's a shit show. Um, and but in terms of this organization through a staff change, um, you know, you have to start recruiting your own players first. Right. which then kind of gets in and mixes up trying to recruit the high school kids, the transfer portal kids. Um, and then, you know, it's really up to the new staff to figure things out. I mean, I know Kiffin came in um, and kind of missed, not messed with the commits, but was like had to reevaluate guys. It was like, hey, I don't want this guy. I do want this guy. And that's just natural. You know, that's just how it works with a new staff and, you know, he was willing to have that early signing period. I mean, it was like the most un, 
newsworthy early signing period I was ever a part of because we had either all the kids were just committed. It was just waiting for them to sign. There was no one really up in the air. And then the February was completely different because we're kind of not scrambling, but kind of figuring out like who's available, who can we go after and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but especially now it's even more difficult with the new staff. And you would think that some of these programs would, evaluate that when they are you know trying to make a, a coaching change because you look at Oklahoma I mean I think they made some pretty awesome hires but they lost like the entire recruiting class and a large amount of their you know returning starters that were impact players uh, you're going to see a ton more of that soon with all of the, uh, the portal and everything so it, it's a weird dynamic and it's it's difficult to kind of feel out how do you how you evaluate that when it's a new staff and everything for you when the new staff came in you mentioned you're trying to like you have to continue recruiting even though it's a pointless because I remember one time I was asking you about this this is earlier in the fall and you that's where the story of like the guy going in the kid's house and just being like you're gonna be a good player somewhere which always gave me a good laugh but you're doing that to fulfill your contract right because you're gonna get fired with calls not get paid all that stuff when the new staff comes in and you mentioned you kind of have to take stock very, very quickly of not only what's in the cupboard, but like what you need to change, what don't get changed. For someone like you who is, you know, evaluating kids, how much does the uh, who you're evaluating change? Because if to me as an outsider, it would seem like you do all this work on these kids, like you have a pretty good idea of who you want to recruit at that point. How much does that change with the new staff? Because, you know, it would be naive to think that they're recruiting the exact same kids, even though generally it's probably, you know, I guess somewhat similar. What's that like? Well, coaches always come in with different relationships. So when Levy came in from UCF, there were kids that we were recruiting that like, you know, that were UCF commits and targets. Um, who all were really good players, or at least most of them, and he had known them and recognized them. Same thing with Kevin Smith. I mean, he basically brought Henry Parrish with him. He was like, hey, this kid's coming with us. Uh, we've evaluated and recruiting him there. And then Lane, same kind of deal. He's been with different kinds of kids, Durkin over there. You know, you kind of just – you don't completely flip the board, but it's really more adding prospects. It's like, hey – we have relationships with these guys. We're add them to the list. Everyone's going to evaluate them, see how we feel about them going forward. Um, you don't take up necessarily the other guys off, um, but it just changes kind of the, the structure and the, the prospects and everything like that. Um, so it, it's a big overhaul of exactly what you're doing. And it takes some time to figure all that out. And you really don't have a lot of time especially in December and January when this whole thing is going down. Right. That's the kind of, that's what makes it such a uh, kind of a screwed up deal in a lot of ways. So once you did it for you, you did it for a couple of years, the early signing period, these last couple of days, because I think what the no, the quiet period or whatever, you can't contact the kids starts tonight at midnight, this last weekend or this last week of just kind of give me a rundown of what these last 10 to 12 days are like. Is it a haze already in the barn situation or is there a lot to do? How do you handle the kids on campus? Take me through just the last couple of weeks. Well, I guess we'll just start with kind of like the last week. Um, the coaches are obviously out on the road recruiting all over the place. I mean, you, you're, <laughs> you're changing their trips. You're going through whatever, just depending on kind of the, the intel that they get from from going to different places, like, oh, we've got a better shot on this kid than we thought. Let's try to get him on a visit or, 
we this kid is it's done here like we can just not even worry about him i would say fans probably don't realize this but there's way 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 more hay in the barn okay with the early signing period than people think um you know there's some drama with a few there always will be some drama with a few kids down the stretch but more than likely you have a really good sense of what's going on and I wouldn't doubt it for some of these kids that have been like been brought up recently on the board and everything. They are, they already know what's going on with them. They're probably either off the board or in the commit section right now. And um, you know, things can change at the end. You know, anybody can come in with, with an offer that can't be refused right. from any program. It happens all the time. Um, but communication is really pretty simple. And then, after they go out on the road and everything, come back, you have that last official visit date. And that's always kind of a scramble because you're dealing with the kids on campus while you're trying to call and keep in touch with kids that are visiting other places. Uh, so it, it's there, there's a lot to it. Um, and it's, it can be pretty stressful and schedules change all the time. Everything is, you know, everyone's favorite word is fluid. That is as true as can be. Uh, but by today, you know, you're still calling kids and figuring out what's going on, but at most likely they have a fantastic sense of what's going to happen come, what is it, Wednesday or Tuesday? Is that signing day? Yeah, the, Wednesday. I would say with maybe the exception of like one or two or three kids, they know exactly what's going to happen. And I guess it's no guarantee that those kids are on your campus for the final day, like at all either, like over the final weekend. Like you mentioned, like one, two or three are probably pretty split. Like, are you lucky to get two of them on? I know it's kind of depends, as you mentioned, everyone's favorite word fluid, but like, that's probably what makes it even tougher is like, there's no guarantee that those one, two and three are going to end up on your campus for the last weekend. Right. No, absolutely. Um, and then the miss Al game uh, really screws everything up. Yeah. Why is that? Because, I guess you have to have it then. Why is that on that weekend? Has no one thought to change it? Does that, was that ever inquired about or is it just kind of accepted? It just kind of was accepted. I mean, Alabama and Auburn, they have to deal with the two, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Right. So people kind of work their their schedules around it, but it's more of a pain in the ass for the players than anything else. Um, I remember uh, that first class, that 19 class, um, N'Kobe Dean, Radar Jones, and another kid uh, – we're at the missile game and then drove from Hattiesburg to Oxford after the game and got in town at like freaking three in the morning. And all of us are staying up at the end of Ole Miss, like waiting for him. Like, so it's an inconvenience to everybody. Um, but uh, I don't know why they have it then, but it, it's kind of an inconvenience for a ton of different programs. So it's not exactly like against Ole Miss's favor necessarily, but it was always just a, a pain. Sure. is. Honestly, this has had nothing to do. I was going to go – you kind of led me where I was going next, but I just thought of this. Does other states have that type of game? How unique is that Miss Al deal? Um, I think some other states – I think there's like a Florida-Georgia game. Um, there may be like a Texas-Arkansas one too. Uh, I do think the Mississippi-Alabama one, It's it's got a pretty solid history and a lot of the – that, so they don't have the private school kids playing, which makes no sense to me. Well, I was about to say, it's probably good they knock out the MIS All-Star game in November when you talk about the hay being in the barn, like the show <laughs> yeah. happened in November. Right. So they, they don't have they don't have the private school kids play, so that's always a weird dynamic. But uh, 
they, you know, it, it's got a lot of history. It, it's a pretty big deal for the kids to play in it. Um, and I know they have like two of them, actually. They have a, a smaller uh, game, too, but I don't think it's on the same weekend. And I don't think anyone really cares about it near as much. Uh, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. When so what I was actually going to go to next was the process. I've I've listened to a lot of the recruiting stuff from afar because I have more time to do so now. And I wouldn't say I've caught the recruiting fix that a lot of people have, but I've kind of paid more attention to certain guys who Ole Miss is after. And one of the things I've gathered pretty quickly, and I knew this covering this, but I maybe I just didn't understand quite the uh, savagery. I don't know what you want to call it, but like. There's no guarantee one of these, like when the kids say they're going to take a visit. So like, I guess a week out or something, you learn, Hey, this kid's coming. There's no guarantee they show up. When do you actually like know when a kid's showing up? And like, do you have any crazy ass stories about like, you're like, all right, well, this kid's supposed to be here. And then you mentioned waiting up. Like, what is the process of, I guess the best way to ask it is when do you like, know? is it literally just the kid pulling up to the end of Ole Miss? Are you texting him? Like when you actually know a kid's on campus? No, it's never really that dramatic, um, especially with official visits, because, you know, we're paying for them to come. So you 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 know when they're not coming. It's it's they either like don't get on the plane or they, they usually tell you it's not always this like Russian mafia, like secret backdoor deals. Usually, you know, when the kids aren't coming or when they are just through communication, you know, if they kind of bail and uh, don't call back or anything like that, you, you know what the deal is. Um, I don't think I have any crazy stories about kids showing up or not showing up um, that I can think of, at least from like some big time guys. But uh, it, it's never really as uh, as I guess dramatic. Uh, dramatic, yeah. The words I can't think of a better word than that. Uh, then it may seem from you know seeing reports on twenty four seven and stuff like that. Uh, it, it usually you know what's going on. What um? So what's the weekend like? The normal one, say Mr. Al nodding like that, notwithstanding on a weekend like that. What's their uh? What's their protocol? I think you probably walked us through this before, but like, take me again. Like what the what the weekend actually is? Like an official visit weekend? Yeah, like on a. I guess they're probably all pretty standard. Like this past weekend, a kid that gets there on Friday. Like what's what's his deal? Like what what's he doing the rest of the weekend? Uh, you're going to probably have a dinner Friday night. Depends what time they get in a dinner Friday night, kind of an introduction to the staff usually and the, the support staff and everybody, um, go out that night. Uh, I used last, my last year, I kind of handled all the going out to the bars and everything, which, uh, sucked. <laughs> and I can imagine that's um, not the most fun gig. Yeah. But I got a free, uh, lifetime library card out of it. So there's pros and cons to everything. <laughs> um, there we go. And then check. Yeah, Saturday, you know, if you have a breakfast at the inn, uh, usually do like a campus tour and, and some player coaches meetings um, throughout the day, go over some scheme stuff, uh, lunch. You do a lot of eating. You eat a lot of eating. So much food on these things. Um, then, you know, a little difference between Kiffin and Luke is Kiffin really likes to kind of give the, the kids some time to relax. Like, it's not always, like, just a 24-7 day on Saturday of just meetings and food and uh, tours and stuff. Like, usually in the afternoon, he's kind of like, why don't you just relax? Like, if you want to do something, let us know, and we'll, we'll handle it. You know, just kind of after the lunch and maybe a few other meetings, introductions, 
give them a few hours just to hang out in the hotel. We have a pretty, they do a pretty awesome hospitality room with video games and stuff. The coaches will all go hang out there. And um, then Saturday night, usually another big dinner. Usually the, the players will go with um, with some support staff and the parents will eat with the coaches to get to learn, you know, know them better. And they'll talk and ask a bunch of questions and uh, go out again the Saturday night. And then Sunday is kind of like exit meetings. Um, every player will have like an individual meeting with the head coach, kind of talk about what's going on. Uh, usually it's just the player and the coach. Sometimes it'll be the parents. Uh, that's usually the most serious conversation and kind of where you get a, an idea of what's going on with the recruitment because, you know, I, get, I guess kids lie sometimes, but in reality it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, Kiffin tells you where, where they're at or the head coach tells you where Ole Miss stands with you and then the kid kind of gives an idea of where they're at too. So that's about what happens. There's not – there's sometimes there's some drama, you know, there's been some interesting things that happen on these visits, but it's 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 a good time. It's it's a pain to work because it's just a long, long days for the kids and the and the support staff. But uh, it, it's it's a good time. It, they usually uh, really enjoy it. Yeah, without like getting you in trouble, that there obviously is a point where they go out with the players, and that's when the more uh, social aspect of it happens. What is like in terms of like, I like I hear kids talk about like he was my host on my recruiting visit. What is that process like identifying who's going to take what kids around and whatnot? Do y'all have any part in that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we pick the host. The coaches usually pick the host. Um, kind of the same. So obviously not all these high school kids, you know, not all of them want to just go to the library and go out till two in the morning. You know, some kids don't really care about that. And right. so you kind of pick the host and all of that based on the personality of the recruit. Maybe they know somebody uh, that's on the team already. So it's, it's a pretty self-explanatory way of choosing and figuring out how that works. Um, but that's usually the coaches and the, uh, our jobs is to kind of match them up. And they're kind of with them all weekend. Okay. You know, driving them around. If they want to go to a pregame, the players will set up something like that. You know, sit with them at lunch, kind of answering questions. It's it's a real job. And there's usually like 15 players, 20 players on the team that you're comfortable with doing that. Because, you know, it's no offense to the current players. But that's that's not the easiest job in the world. You have to have someone pretty pretty uh, invested and pretty competent to, to have – to deal with a kid like that for an entire weekend. Uh, but we've always done a pretty good job of figuring that out. That's what I was going to ask next is like what goes into trying to figure out, I guess, not only like, uh, like who's going to do it. Is there a willingness factor in it? Like, I wonder, like one of the unsung things in the process would seem like, like, I imagine there's kids that are better hosting than others. Like, is it, or there do guys generally want to do it? What's like the buy-in like from that aspect? Um, yeah, most kids don't want to do it, I would say, but the kids that do want to do it, um, they, I mean, they're, they're there every time. And, you know, those kids, that they enjoy it. Uh, I mean, you get, you don't get paid to do it, but you get, you know, money for expenses throughout the weekend. So it's not like you're giving up your own, your own bills to pay for these kids' food and drinks and everything like that. Um, usually it's, you, you've, like I said, you got like 15 guys who really want to do it. And if you have more than that on a trip, then, um, usually you kind of have to handle that and pick a few guys who may have never done it before, but you think could do a good job. Uh, it's, it's not that complicated. Okay. Yeah. I just, uh, 
I wonder like if they all were ever sticking kids with like Kadir Shepard or something of that, like that. Like, I just wonder like how that process went <laughs> in terms of uh, picking kids. Cause uh, my man Kadir was pretty, pretty electric when it both came to uh, media. And I imagine he was a bit of a wild card in that sense. So when they come back, like, so they're staying at the end and Ole Miss most times when there's a host, those guys don't stay. Do they stay with the, uh, no. never. It's like that. I imagine that's not, no, they, they don't. No, they're not staying at the hotel with them. They're staying at home. They just kind of get there in the morning to start off the day and everything. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess we kind of covered everything that happens with regard to that. From your perspective, when these kids leave and this quiet period starts, what do you guys do next as a recruiting staff? Like, how do you evaluate how the weekend went and stuff like that, if that makes any sense? What's the process like when the kids are gone? Uh, Usually you start off with just kind of a large team meeting with all the recruiting staff, the coaches, head coach and kind of talk about where you, where things stand. Um, not necessarily with just the kids that were there on that weekend, but just as a whole. And that's kind of where you start divvying up, you know, do we want this kid to sign now? Do we want him to wait? Um, and all those kind of different decisions you have to make. Uh, there, there's a lot that goes into it. And you kind of just have to keep meeting, keep figuring out what's going on, keep an update on what the kid's doing. Um, Keep, keep them on the phone as long as you can before midnight, uh, all that different kind of stuff that you hear these stories about. Uh, there, there's a lot of, a lot of meeting, a lot of talking, a lot of board shuffling, and it happens hourly is what it seems like. So th- there's a lot. And then when that happens, I know on signing day itself, there's like a war room or whatever, like freeze was yeah. big in showing the war room for you, for guys that were more trying to go find and evaluate players Clearly you can't contact them, at least not legally, over those last couple hours. Is what's the night before and signing day like for you guys? I imagine just from a nurse perspective, it's fairly restless, but what are you doing? What are your responsibilities on signing day itself? It's kind of really just handling what anything the coaches needs, uh, setting up the big board in the war room. Uh, usually like the old Miss video department and the marketing department comes in and handles kind of a lot of the announcements but to be honest from a recruiting staff standpoint you're not doing a whole lot kind of setting up the board you know moving kids over updating things uh like i said you kind of have an idea of what's going on before you get to that day at least in the early signing period you do so uh i don't do a whole lot is it I mean, I can get, look, it's a job at the end of the day. Like you don't let your job like consume you, but are you like restless about like how it's going to turn out? Because I imagine in some senses that is you, your guys kind of Super Bowl. I know you have an idea of what's going to happen, but then again, you never like really know, even though there's not what like you can do, like from a mindset standpoint, are you nervous or is it just kind of is what it is at that point? Um, yeah, I guess it can be a little nerve wracking. Um, because there's always those two or three guys that not necessarily define a class, but there's always those two or three guys you're fighting for till the end that you really want. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, we're all sitting there like pins and needles and, you know, just freaking out the whole time because for the majority of the, uh, of what's going on, you know, you know what you're going to get. Like I've said a few times. So yeah, it's a little nerve wracking and, it's a big deal, but it's not near as nerve wracking as that first spring practice where you figure out the kids are any good or not. So that's uh, actually worse, you think? Oh, the first spring practice is 
that's when you that's the most nervous day is like that first week of practice where you figure out because you know pretty quickly whether the kids you signed and evaluated recruited are going to make like any impact whatsoever um it, it doesn't take too long to figure that out um at least in most positions so that's definitely a lot more nerve-wracking to, at least it was to me than signing day was that's fascinating because i guess that really is the first time you're seeing them on the field like are you watching that like a hawk? And like you mentioned, you can tell pretty quickly. Is a lot of that just like the stuff you, I guess, you've seen on tape? Because I imagine there's a limited amount of what you can see in person, just that it actually translates. Like, is it just as simple as like, oh, shit, this kid's slow or stuff like that? Like, what is what is watching that like? As you mentioned, it sounds like you're watching it like a hawk. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just want to see like, okay, is this guy going to be like an immediate impact guy? And you can you know immediately whether that's the case or not. And then the other stuff is like, okay, how is he learning? How is he competing? Is this a guy that can develop into a decent player? And then unfortunately there's times, you know, and that this happens every year with every staff where a kid gets there and you're just like, this ain't, this ain't going to go well. Um, and I, there has not been a whole bunch of those. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll flash like, all right, I, I see what we saw and I see what the coaches saw, but uh, yeah, you, you definitely pay attention to the newer guys more because, you know, obviously those are the guys you've been dealing with for so long um, that it's it's important. I guess that's the part where it becomes the inexact science aspect of it. When you talk about, like, look, you can do everything you can. Like, when you learn about, like, the, I guess, flaws in the system or whatever, like, that seems like the part where that kind of comes into fruition. Yeah, I guess so. You could say that. Sure. Um. So – I guess that kind of covers everything from like a process standpoint and what you guys do. The last thing I really had on like that aspect of it is when you're on signing day and like you have an unexpected flip or a kid doesn't go like where you think he's going to go, or I guess in some ways you get a kid that maybe you don't think you get. And I know that's a rarity. How do you shuffle in terms of like filling out the, uh, the class and like having the ability to go get some, like someone else, like does how much like uh, you mentioned the board or just like the, the, up and down, I guess, minutia of all of it. How, like, can you be like, oh, we didn't get him, so we can offer him? Like, how does that roster, I guess, management work on that day, if that makes any sense? It was a really shitty way to ask. Oh, that. yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, get, you, I get what you're saying. Um, I mean, there's there's times where, like, either you get a kid or you don't get a kid, and you're still watching film with some of the coaches on signing day. Be like, all right, like, this kid, like, may need to be an option now. Like, do we want to sign him? Like, let's look at all of his most recent stuff again, like, kind of make a finalization of what we think on him. Uh, and it definitely happened to Kiffin's first year. And, you know, the kid thought he had a scholarship and he really didn't. So that was kind of a, a bad deal. Um, but, yeah, there's still times where you're you're kind of still going through and evaluating and watching and being like, okay, like if this, if this kid ends up not coming here or he does come here, what do we do with this kid? So it's – there is there is a lot more to it uh, kind of day-to-day wise – um, on signing day than, than people would think. Who's breaking the news on that when a kid doesn't get an offer? Does it vary? Well, you, you send, like, papers. So if the kid gets papers, like, that's when he knows he can sign it and be good. Sometimes these kids don't understand that, and they just sign some worthless piece of nothing on the, the table with all the hats. Like, I mean, that happens all the time, where the kid actually doesn't have official Ole Miss scholarship papers where he's signing, sometimes he's signing nothing. And sometimes we do that. Like there, there are teams that will send them nothing on purpose, add them sign it. Um, 
in just like they're like an academic risk or something. So if it comes down the pipe, uh, you know, you can just handle it from there. It's it's kind of a weird deal. Oh, but when you guys are sending like a nothing signing, that's everyone's on the same page, right? There's no like hundred percent. It's it's not like a we're scheming the kid or something. It is everyone is on the same page, including the kid, his parents. That happens very, very rarely. But there there are some times where it's like, all right, you know, we don't know if you're gonna make it. You don't know if you're gonna make it. Sign some JUCO papers and sign, you know, pick the Ole Miss hat and we'll kind of see where it goes here in a few weeks. Huh. So when do they get them? Like, uh, is it depend? Like, I guess when you're like more concrete on a guy, like when do the kids actually get the papers? Uh, usually, I guess if it's Wednesday, you're sending them out today. Okay. Um, and so they cannot officially sign them and be sent in until like 8 a.m. signing day. Okay. But, <laughs> but uh, it has always and most of the time been strongly encouraged to when you get those papers, sign that shit, send it to us. It's illegal. Get this over it with. Happens. And let's not have any drama, <laughs> you know. So that, that that tends to happen here and there as well. How figurative and literal is the fax machine? I always found it hilarious that they did like the fax machine aspect of all of it. Like what is like, it, is that official? Is that an official thing? Or are you getting emails from these kids? Because it's like the fax hasn't come in. I was like, is that literally a fax? What is that actually like? No, I think they've changed it up where you can kind of just scan it in like a, you know, you get in an email, scan it in the little compliance people always up there where we work and they're just sitting there and getting them all in. The coaches will come up and down and be like, all right, we get it in. We, we not get it in. Like what's going on. Um, I don't think there's like an actual fax machine anymore. They got rid of that deal. That would make sense. Cause that seemed like much, much of an outdated concept on yeah, that one. No, so when you look at this class, and I know you're not in it anymore, and don't keep up with it nearly as much as you do, but we've talked about this all throughout not only the season, but sort of the off season as well. I, excuse me, not only throughout the season, but even after like the season as well, about Ole Miss's portal heavy focus and what they're going to go after from a high school kid standpoint versus transfers. But it's interesting because like everything else in this process, the transfer portal is fluid and you have no idea who you're going to get versus not get how do you think they're handling that in terms of the amount of papers or actual offers and guys they want to sign out of high school tomorrow do you think they have an exact idea or do you think that's pretty fluid it's it's fluid but usually it kind of depends on the player so there was guys last year where you know they're a high school guy uh, like Tyler Malone for instance where it's like this kid has a spot no matter what Okay. We're not going to deviate from our portal thoughts and our transfer thoughts. Uh, this kid's coming. You know, there was a kid that signed with Kentucky last year, a linebacker, uh, classic John Summerall victory. Uh, I can't remember his name. He was from Georgia. He was another guy uh, that was like, he gets a spot no matter what if he wants to come. Um, so I would imagine now that this one – your rule thing is in place that, you know, it's clear they have a pretty big emphasis on the portal that that's probably even more fluid than ever. Um, I wouldn't doubt for a second if just knowing kind of how Kiffin operates and how much he likes transfers, if there are some of these kids that are like 50, 50, where he's like, we're, we're, we're done here. Like, you know, we, we love this kid, but we don't love him enough. That's a portal spot. Um, 
and there might be kids where he's like, no, like this kid's got a spot no matter what. Those numbers are fluid still, but I would imagine even more now that it, it's going to be pretty portal heavy and, you know, for better or for worse. And I guess the portal aspect of it, you know, the the downside, I guess, of the transfer portal, and you hear this every year, like it's, I always get laugh when announcers like, you know what the, they don't talk about is the 900 kids that don't have a spot in the transfer portal. It's like, well, if you say that enough times, actually it is talked about. But when you like mention that that's a portal spot, I guess at the end of the day, that could actually be this, like, I guess, not safer route, but you know you're going to get someone. There's enough in the cupboard in the portal. It may not be who you want, but that's going to get filled by yeah. someone, right? Like, it'll, someone will fill that spot, even if they are not good. Well, that's, that's why, in my opinion, I, I don't love the concept of being so reliant on the portal. Okay. Um, especially in a, in a place where Ole Miss is at, because it should be used to supplement your roster, improve it in certain spots, but not build it. Because as you're seeing, especially with some of these quarterbacks that are like visiting, not visiting, all these different players, like, I mean, for instance, the, the freaking FIU offensive tackle, no idea if he's good or not, but he's got 30 offers. So you can say like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to wait for an offensive lineman, but that doesn't mean there's going to be that many, you know, instant impact guys coming out. And the idea that Ole Miss is going to be at the top of anybody's list when they come out in the portal is, is a little naive in my opinion. You know, these kids are going to have hundreds of offers. I mean, Caleb Williams would have 129 offers if he went into the portal tomorrow. Um, so it's, it's just as competitive as recruiting. And, you know, Obviously, there's some things like Deion Smith where it's, you know, it's probably been hashed out a little bit beforehand. But for every Deion Smith that's hashed out to Ole Miss, there's like 15 players that are hashed out other places that Ole Miss might want. So it's, it ends up being the exact same thing as recruiting high school kids. There's no guarantee. So it really, you know, there's more of these portal guys, but there's that you have seen and have college film on. So I get it from that aspect. But the idea that you just get just to hop in there and fill your seven, ten spots with, you know, instant impact guys you wanted is, is in my opinion, a little foolish. Foolish might not be the right word. Risky. Um, risky would be a better word to, to, to say because, you know, it can bite you in the ass. And, you know, it happened last year all the time. We're like, we want this kid. Oh, he's going here. Like, oh, we want this kid. Oh, he's going here already. Like, it, it's happening in that building right now. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting view to have on their end, and they've been successful with it. But you know, doesn't mean consistently you can you can have five guys come in be automatic starters and just kill it. You know, it's 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 tough. And it's so it's been good to them so far with the Jake Springers of the world, right? The Mark Robinson, uh, Chance Campbell. Are you? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Are you, do you think that's, I don't want to say statistically improbable, but like the fact that they continue to have that hit rate, do you think that's sustainable in terms of them getting those guys? Cause I can't really think of a transfer that they've had that was a complete bust. I'm sure there's one out there. It was never an impact. I mean, the Western Kentucky kid, or no, no, the Maryland, excuse me, the Maryland kid that came in those quarterback. I don't think there was ever any intention for him to do anything, but outside of that, I can't really no. think of one. So, like, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that hit rate is sustainable? Because they are, in, in some cases, I guess, a known commodity if the kid has played and has had somewhat of a career at his current place. 
Do you, sure. but at the other side of it, I guess there are a lot of kids like Deion Smith where, you know, he's talented, you know, he came from LSU, but you haven't actually seen a ton of it on the field. He had some out there. I think he had a big game against central Michigan. Do you think this hit rate is sustainable with the portal that they've had so far? Um, the answer to, to preface that answering no is not like a neg on the staff because it's been absurdly no, high. No, 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 no. I know what you're saying. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer is no. I mean, because they basically have been damn near 100%. And the funny thing is, you know, a guy like Jake Springer, you know, he was a linebacker at Navy. Like, you can say you're the best evaluator in the world, but you had no idea he was going to turn out to be the player he was, you know, playing that star safety role. I mean, you, there's no chance that even, you know, DJ was like, wow, like this is actually a super game changer. Mark Robinson was a walk-on running back from Southeast Missouri State that, you know, credit to the staff figured out he should play linebacker and it worked out beautifully. And the idea that you're gonna, yeah, yeah, Otis Reese, but he was a little bit more of a known commodity. Oh, no, uh, I just meant, didn't Otis was like, hey, you got to check this kid out. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, he they yeah. went to high school. Either. Um, so, no, I don't think they'll hit at all times, but I do think Kiffin is more confident in his evaluating and the staff's evaluating of like kind of known commodities coming out. I mean, you realize, I mean, they don't really go after a lot of portal guys that um, were, you know, freshmen that didn't have a lot of playing time. Deion Smith being a small exception, but even he did play. Uh, you see them going after like these older juniors kids. and seniors, older kids who have like cemented themselves with a role in their former team where you just have a ton of, of film and ton of awareness of the kids. So I do think that helps their hit rate. Whereas, like, some programs are just going after guys that are freshmen that either were hurt or they didn't play a second. They have no idea if the second stop's going to be better than the first. Um, so I, I do like that aspect of it, but I do think the reliance is very, very risky. And then, so what, another thing, when I, as I was catching up on my recruiting news today, and by that I mean just perusing rebelgrove.com, if you're not a member, you should definitely sign up. They had a kid pop up pretty much out of nowhere. And one of the parts of Neil's, I don't want to give up like subscriber information. I don't think he'd give a shit about this, but they had a kid named Cameron Ward, who is a quarterback at incarnate word who came in and Neil, when he first kind of heard that the kid was on campus or whatever, that was coming for a visit. He was like, look, I'll figure out more, but I have no idea who this is. Like, I, I don't know much about this guy. Is that a guy on the inside that, because he's a guy that immediately, as soon as he announced his intention to transfer, his offensive coordinator went to Washington, or excuse me, his head coach went to be the offensive coordinator at Washington State. So he hits the transfer portal immediately, and Florida, Ole Miss, among others, have immediate interest. From the inside, is that a guy that you guys would have kept your eye on in most cases? Or, like, what? Like I guess, what, what do you think their familiarity was in the beginning? Clearly, their familiarity is not quote unquote, nothing per se, but like it seemed to come out of nowhere from the public's perspective. But I imagine you guys probably had a handle on who it was, what he was doing. Right. So, I mean, when a kid like that get, jumps in the portal, um, you probably know immediately, you know, there's some new cast out there like this guy won the Jerry Rice Award as the best FCS player in the country. He's a quarterback. We need a quarterback. Someone like me or whoever's in the office is immediately – chopping up that kid's film and is like, what, what, what's going on here? They'll watch it. They'll talk about it. And if they really, really want the kid, they'll reach out and be like, you want to come visit? <laughs> like, cause come on. And clearly that first conversation went really well. Um, I, I watched a little bit of that kid when I saw his name pop up 
and uh kid's pretty damn dynamic <laughs> he's he's a he's a pretty exciting player um obviously fcs going to the sec is a huge bump but they've made it kids made it work with with lesser talents um so he, he's uh he's pretty he's pretty interesting but uh it's a pretty quick process with these portal kids when they hop in everybody's on them so you just watch them evaluate them see how you feel about them call them and kind of go from there but do you think they knew much about him before his in, intention to transfer? I guess like kind of was. I would say, I would say maybe, most likely no. That's you, I mean, you're not. You don't, yeah, you don't have your eyes on the FCS portal. I mean, you, right. you don't. You're not really like tampering with Incarnate Word's roster necessarily. Um, so when so he in jumps in, it's like a fantasy waiver wire. You're like, oh, who the hell is this guy that got dropped? And then you like, I imagine a staffer like you or someone at Florida got it. And it was just like, who was the fastest to get on this kid type of thing? Yeah, exactly. And just because you, the first call doesn't mean he cares, you know, right. like, you know, if UTEP calls him, he's probably not that interested, but if he's a guy that, you know, of his talent wants to play in the SEC, that, that definitely changes the game a little bit for him. I'm fascinated by that because like when he, do you think that kid, and maybe he had some people in his ear, whether it's other schools like that, but like if that kid, when he announces his intention to transfer, do you think he's surprised at the interest he generated in terms of what programs? Do you think that kid was surprised at all that like Florida and Ole Miss were on him immediately? Probably. Yeah. Really? I mean, he probably didn't know what was going to happen. He probably realized, you know, I put up one hell of a season. Um, I've got a chance to really put my put a stamp on this college career, go play in some really high level games, play in the SEC or you know wherever he wants to go. Um, does he think that he's going to get offers from like Bama, Florida, Ole Miss, LSU? Probably not, and I don't know what his offers are. Obviously, I don't care. Um, but it's just I'm telling you, it's these kids enter the portal. Everyone's looking at the portal, you know, looking on Twitter who's in it, who's out of it. Um, but I will say and continue to say a lot of times when these kids hop in the portal, they already know where they're going. So you can be the first one on them once they hop in officially and you can call them and the kids 90% of the time is like, yeah, I'm already going here. So it's not always, you don't always have these Cameron Ward situations. You, most of the time it's a, it's a Deion Smith situation. So it, it's, it's a hit or miss with that kind of deal. I guess as we kind of get into it, I'm going to go through some targets that they have. Um, just it kind of seems like the relevant ones. Um, again, I don't expect you to know any of these kids inside and out, but particularly being these 2022 kids, I imagine you know most of them. Jaheim yeah. Otis, that may be someone we've talked about before. Everyone knows who he is at this point. What do you remember about him when you were working in it? Well, I told the story about he was what he looked like at camp that time. He came in as like a freshman or a sophomore and was just absolutely dominant. Um, I will say I do remember his junior film going back through it. Um, he, he gained a lot of bad weight and it, I've just seen some pictures around and he still looks like he's got to shave off at least 20. Um, but he's, he's quick footed, quick hands. He's a really, really good player. His recruitment reminds me like literally exactly of Byron Young's recruitment. He was a defensive lineman in 19. Yeah. Um, that was committed to Bama early and then flirted with a, with State and Ole Miss and ended up realizing he was still committed to Bama and and just stayed there. And I, I kind of anticipate this being the same the same thing. Um, that's it. So that obviously the state seems to be out on him. He, there was some 
kind of kind of crazy-ish reports of like him not necessarily being uh, the most transparent with some state stuff. Ole Miss seems to think they're in it. For you guys, that's another aspect of this deal is is like re- re- recruiting reporting is such like a fickle industry. I mean, how I mean, even even guys that work in it will tell you that. I imagine you guys on the inside are putting no stock in what anyone's writing about someone's chances with the kid because you guys know better and they're the ones they're talking to. Do you pay attention to anything that people are saying on the outside, crystal ball, any of that stuff? Um, For entertainment purposes only. Okay. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> I'll go through and I'll, I'll watch or read some of the other boards that we have access to or whatever. None of it I take any stock in because there's not a single 24-7 reporter that knows more than – anyone inside of the building um you know there are some rare cases of some guys that have some inside information that's a little bit different but like i said you kind of the haze majority of the haze in the barn anyway so we know where we stand and it's pretty rare that uh it it, there's something that like steve robertson rides writes on the mississippi state board is going to be shocking news to us that that's just not the case interesting um percy lewis what do you remember about him? I, I don't. I, I don't remember him. He he wasn't a guy that came was on the radar when I was there. He, he's okay. a JUCO guy. Those kids come out of nowhere. I know oh, that's right. Sorry, Oregon. he's a JUCO kid. I imagine that was yeah. probably a little different. Okay, so a little bit different. Um, I will say he's at Gulf Coast, I think, and we've never had a lot of success there for whatever reason. The JUCO stuff is always really weird. What are the always. ones that Ole Miss seems to have success with? I need I know Northwest is one. Wasn't Williams at Northeast? Like, what are kind of the, I guess, the ones that you guys or uh, Ole Miss in general have had better luck at? Uh, Northwest, Northeast, um, those two for sure. Um, and then, uh, oh, what's the one where all those kids came from? The one where Barney was at. Where was Barney Farrar at? <laughs> uh, we did. Is it, it's not um, Southwest. It's no, not Southwest. It's uh, not Pearl River. I oh, God, I can't even remember. It's so sad. I literally just the yellow and red team. East Central, Holmes, Kahoma. I'm literally Googling uh, community college in Mississippi. East Central sounds correct. Maybe I'm wrong. That's where that. my buddy Clay Karcher, he used to work with Ole Miss. His dad's the head coach at East Central. Okay. Itawamba, Jones. Jones County. That's okay, it. Okay. Jones We're, County. We get them from there, and then East Mississippi used to be used to be good to Ole Miss, but uh, they do kind of a deal now. They're not the same as they used to be, but they were always very. Um, if a kid was committed to a school and then ended up going to East, the coaches kind of protect them from recruiting and send them back to the school that he was committed at, which I can respect to an extent, but um, never really had. We never recruited a whole lot of kids from there, except for I think Drummond went there. That, that's kind of it. Is that a Buddy Stevens deal? Yeah, it's kind of one of his deals. Um, it's, it's a pretty new deal for him, I think, the past, like, four or five years. I think he was just tired of dealing with all these coaches that came in. So, if you notice, like, a kid that goes ends up at East, um, like, the, the lineman for, defensive lineman from South Carolina that was a monster that ended up – that was at East, you know, he, they, he just sent him right back to South Carolina. Huh. That's yeah. uh, I wonder. I, so I guess it's just a tired of dealing with it thing. Um, let's keep going down it. Travion Williams, do you remember him? No, he was a, he was kind of a newcomer this year. Um, I, I I went and watched his huddle, and he looks like a damn good football player. Um, I'm sure they'd like to have. Um, from all reports, it sounds like they have 
really no chance. Um, and I'm sure that's one, to be honest, that's one they probably like a week ago. We're like, we're going to try our hardest, but he, I don't think he ever came for an official visit. Kids don't go places that they never OV'd to. Um, that just is very rare. Let's see. I'm continuing to go down the list here. I don't know how many undecided there are. I don't want to waste time on kids. Um, let's see here. State rankings, Mississippi. How about what's your deal? What's your read on Stone Blanton? Oh, God, I saw that guy. I saw his brother tweet earlier. Yeah, that that seemed bad for business. Um, I have a lot. I could say a lot about that. Um, I, Stone's a really good football player. Um, but I, I don't know how he looked this year, but the, the days of the Mike linebackers are kind of done. And if you can't run, you're going to struggle in the SEC. Um, I think that might be an over-exaggeration of how his recruitment went. Um, but I, I really liked him as a player. He's a hell of a baseball player too. Never hurts to have two of those. Um, but, you know, I think they, they have a decent – group of linebackers um that's definitely a position that's going to be portal heavy because it's so difficult to evaluate linebackers because kids can play different positions to high school and end up as a linebacker i mean we did like a, a recruiting study one one of the uh one of the years we were there where we went and watched and evaluated every sec linebackers high school film and we're like, okay, what does an elite SEC linebacker look like? And half the time, the guy played receiver or he played safety or he played running back. You know, there's only like so many Devin Whites out there that played linebacker in high school that ended up as a true three-down linebacker in college. So the high school linebacker deal is very, very tough. And you see these guys end up, you know, really highly rated, but not everybody's Kobe Dean, like where you just know what you're getting. Um, it's It's – it's kind of weird, and I'm sure they've evaluated Stone and uh, just either felt that he was going to Mississippi State. I don't even think he's going there anymore from what I saw earlier. Um, Two for seven is in favor of South Carolina. On. Yeah, which is weird, but probably good on the kid. Probably just get out of the state, <laughs> go to South Carolina. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it's a little bit more difficult than you'd think, and they probably know exactly where they stand and where they stood, and they've just made that decision and went with it. Um, let's see, going down the list. Uh, I mean, this kid seems pretty big in the, I'm pretty much in the boat for Ole Miss, but Byron Hurst or Bryson Hurst, excuse me. Yeah, he was, he's a huge kid. Um, really liked his sophomore stuff. Junior stuff was really good too. Um, probably going to be a guard. I would imagine a really big guard, um, a project to an extent, but, uh, he, he's, a, he's too good of an in-state offensive lineman where they don't, Miss we doesn't produce a whole lot of those. Um, that, that's kind of a no-brainer from my end. You, you got to take a kid like that. Um, Aaron Bryant, this kid's headed to Texas. I remember him. He he like blew up his summer when I was there. Um, I don't remember hearing much about him since then. He's probably been committed to Texas for a while. I feel like um, I don't remember a whole lot about him. Larry Simmons. That's a, that's a weird deal. So that is an area. Um, he's at South Haven, right? Uh, the Aaron Bryant, yes. Aaron Bryant kid, yeah. Like, we we always struggled there. We had a kid committed there. Ended up, you know, going a different direction. I think South Haven did not appreciate that. They had a receiver there going to Oregon that we that we liked a lot. And then 
obviously that kid too. Um, so kind of a weird deal. Um, so that's so how, how prevalent is that when you like spurn a guy like once, um, like how, how long does that last in terms of like it being bad bud with the school? And like, how do you repair that? Is there any way to do it? Yeah. You, you just, you have to handle it the way you do. I mean, it, it happens. Um, it, you kind of don't want to put yourself in that situation. You want to be able to evaluate correctly. And when it comes down to it, not have to drop or deal with an in-state kid that way. But that was a different deal because it was Kiffin's first year. You know, it's a different coach making different decisions. Like, you know, the, the, the high school coach needs to understand that. It's, it's different than just a staff in there for five years and then dropping up, you know, like LSU did in 2020. Like they dropped like four in-state kids the day before signing day, you know, and LSU is lucky enough they can do that and kind of deal with the repercussions because, you know, they're in Louisiana where there's so many kids. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, it, that's kind of a el no bueno. Uh, but you just kind of have to handle it, smooth it over throughout some time. It's usually ends up not being as a big of a deal as people think it is. Um, I, We talked about Branson Robinson before. That was a kid that was already always going to Georgia, never really had any interest in state. Nope. Xavier Harris, his teammate. Is a big-ass kid. I remember he came on campus. He is so big. Um, he's going to be an offensive tackle, and he's going to make a lot of money doing that if he just agrees to do it. Um, you you want think he's playing on the offensive kid. side? Yeah. You If you want that kid on your team, you figure it out once he gets in there, get him in the strength program. You know, if he ends up shaving some pounds, getting in really good shape and becomes a Jordan Davis, really impressive defensive lineman, you're stoked. If it doesn't work out there, that kid has the ability to be a first-round offensive lineman if he wants to be. Wow, that's not that's... always not always an easy discussion uh, with a kid like that who's played a position his whole life, but it happens all the time, and he almost always works out for the best. That's fascinating because I'm, I mean, obviously I don't keep up with this as very closely, but like they had uh, him and Otis and the other guy that uh, is committed to Ole Miss together. And you're sitting there thinking, wow, that could be a, uh, at the Miss Al game. That was, I think a photo that went pretty viral and you're thinking, wow, that could be yeah. pretty Titanic defensive line. So you think they have a pretty good understanding that he's probably going to be an offensive uh, player. Oh, not necessarily. They, might not, lineman. they have probably have an idea in the back of their head that like that, card can always be played but they'll probably start him on defense give him his opportunity to play the position he wants and you know if he kills it you keep him there that's what I've always said you know let the kid play what he wants to play in spring when he first gets into on the campus and if he doesn't develop there you just have to have that conversation like if you want to play you got to move it happens all the time and it's not a big deal Um, and it almost always ends up working out for the best once you get the young kids you know in that position and figuring it out um, so they might not start there, but I would imagine that there's an idea they might end up there. It, is that a difficult part of the evaluation process, keeping an open mind where you're watching this kid in high school or whatever, watching his tape and like, I, I, how do you train yourself to think like, I guess maybe this kid could play elsewhere type of deal. Cause that's fascinating. Cause that's someone the common person would never think about. It's, it, it's really kind of the most interesting part of it is you watch these kids in high school and they're like, you know, their receiver, but could they play DB? You know, they're a safety. Are they better on offense? You know, this kid's a running back. Is he better as a receiver? Uh, and you just kind of have to look at the, you know, evaluatable traits for all the positions. You know, what does this kid have? You know, are his feet quick enough? 
Um, is his lower body strong enough? Does he have the ball skills to play on offense? Does he have the ball awareness to play on defense? Um, and it, it's really hard. You know, it's sometimes you got these kids that are quoted as athletes and they play all over the place. And, you know, figuring out the best position for them is not always the smoothest and easiest process. But I've always said you kind of just you get them what they want to play first. And if it works out, that's great. And then when it doesn't work out, you have to have that honest conversation and, and flip them over, or move them to a different position. And it's not easy, especially in Mississippi, where these kids are so strength and conditioning wise underdeveloped. You have no idea what kind of weight they can put on or take off. Um, and that always has a big emphasis on what they're going to play at the next level. So there's a lot that goes into it. It was my, kind of my favorite part of it was figuring out what this kid's actually going to play. What are we actually going to recruit him as? And what are we actually going to, when he gets here, put him on the field as? Um, it's not always set in stone. It's, it's a pretty fluid process. Marquez Dortch was a kid that was talked about a lot early on. He Ole Miss, he was an Ole Miss commit. He decommitted and commit to state. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of scuttlebutt about Ole Miss wanting him to play a different position or not seeing him as a fit. I can't remember which one it was. He was a receiver corner combination that was uh, somewhat disputed. What do you remember about him? He's clearly going to end up at state. He's not really a part of Ole Miss's picture anymore. But that was contentious at the time of the decommitment. I'm just curious what you remember. Um, yeah, I remember when we first had him committed, I remember that there was a lot of hesitancy to just get him committed, but he was good friends with Dan, MJ Daniels, same high school and all that. Um, and you know, he's a really good player. It's not like he's a bad football player and it was like a, something like that, but that was another kid's like, okay, you know, he's a smaller guy, super, super fast. Um, is he really an offensive player? Like, does he kind of have those, those hands, ball skills to play that position? And if you make that decision, you trust yourself evaluation-wise, and the kid doesn't want to hear that, doesn't want to do that, and you don't have any faith in him being a receiver, then you just kind of cut bait and say that, well, we're not going to do this then. And he's not so, you know, heavily regarded and so damn talented that you just kind of deal with that kind of stuff. Um, you just kind of move on. But he's a good football player. Jacarius Clayton, the Tupelo kid, offensive uh, tackle, Ole Miss kid. I think so. I think he's the guy that Ole Miss, uh, as I'm reading it in the context of this weekend, when I say the guy, I think he is the one who Ole Miss felt pretty much was a slam dunk type of deal. And then him visiting state gives you a little bit of pause, but everyone seems to feel pretty good about it. If someone out there who's reading Neil's Chicks religiously and is like, what the hell is this guy talking about? That should answer your own question. This is not a recruiting podcast. We're a soccer podcast that does American football <laughs> at times. But what do you remember about Clayton? Um, I remember him being a kid that had like no film. He, he was like a basketball kid at first. And then he played, he played defensive line and – was like on and off the team, not like actually on and off the team, but like on and off playing sophomore year. And then finally, like junior and senior year, came back and played consistently. And he's a just a body type you want on your football team. Like I know some people think he's an offensive lineman. Some think he's a defensive lineman. I don't really remember what I thought. Um, but he, he's too big, too athletic, too talented to not have. Um, but when a kid's committed to you, for as long as he has been and then visits your in-state rival on on uh, the weekend before signing day, that is that is a shocking development. That does not happen very often. That's uh, that's a cause for concern 
um, for sure on the Ole Miss side. Um, now, does that mean he's not going to sign with Ole Miss on Wednesday? No, but if he doesn't, that's what you don't want. Because if he doesn't sign on Wednesday, it won't even be about Mississippi State anymore. It'll be about a bunch of the other big boys who are maybe maybe like Alabama or Clemson missed out or a few targets or Georgia. And when they come and reshuffle their board and look where they're at, and you know, before February comes, like, oh shit, there's a six eight, you know, 250 pound defensive lineman in Mississippi who didn't sign on Wednesday. Like, what the hell is going on there? They do their due diligence. They're like, yeah, we have a spot for that kind of guy. Um, and then they offer him, and then now you're like, oh, well, shit, you know, that <laughs> this is not going to end up well. And that happens so often where like a kid like Darren Branch was like committed to us. Um, doesn't sign the early period, and Georgia's like, you know what? We could definitely use a DB like that. Offer done. He's now at Georgia. It, it happens, and it, the big fish come in and kind of take up the scraps of people who don't sign on early signing day. So it's not always, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State Valley. If you're worried about it, it can be Georgia, Alabama, freaking Ohio State. You know, who who knows who's going to come in and want a kid like that? So because that's a whole other month and a half. I know they can't yeah. talk to him the whole time, but that's a lot of time. Yeah, but they can. They sure as hell can talk to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah, I got, yeah, you know, yeah. above board legally cannot talk yeah. to him. But I know what you mean. So it just brings in a lot of uh, a lot of variables you can't control, basically. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So I, that's something I should have asked you earlier when we were talking about whether you like the early versus signing period. But honestly, I didn't think about it. But it was something I thought of earlier in the week when – I've read a couple of times where like, it's like X school wants to push him not to sign. I mean, there was one where I think state was trying to get an old miss kid not to sign in, uh, in December and they pretty much just buy more time. It's like, I don't think I can flip you now, but maybe then is there any sort of correlation to that favoring the blue bloods versus the smaller guys? I know it's a case by case basis. Like I know it's not a hundred percent of the time you guys would have wanted someone to sign early, like to, no matter who, but do you see that more often as a tactic with maybe some of the larger programs, the tier above Ole Miss, like looking at a kid late and being like, oh, we may have misevaluated this. Let's try to push this kid to just push his decision until February because we might have interest. Is there any sort of correlation there at all? Or do you think that works to like schools like Ole Miss's advantage? How do you view that? No, that's, I mean, there will be programs like LSU, you know, those guys that recruit at that level and which Ole Miss does too, to an extent, but not exactly the same. Well, they'll be recruiting kids. They might not even know if they want them or not, but they just want to have the possibility of the right. option for the next signing period. No, that happens all the time. And it, it's, it can be as kind of a scary feeling. You know, it, it does happen. You know, the Alabama's the world. Maybe they miss on a few guys in the early signing period. They make a late call, be like, hey, don't sign. Like, we might want you in the end. And Do I they imagine really? they're more likely to listen to an old Miss, an Alabama versus an old Miss when they're like, hey, don't sign. Like, their antennas go up yes. a little more. Yes. Yeah, don't take offense to that, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan. Yeah, so like, it just is what it that's is. Just, that's just called reality. Yeah, so that, that that's just what happens. You know, people want to go play to Alabama. They're pretty damn good. A lot of kids go play in the NFL from there. If they call you and say, don't sign, we might be interested, and let's say it's a kid from Mobile, Alabama, committed to Ole Miss, yeah, he's not going to sign. <laughs> he's going to wait. Uh, that doesn't mean he's going to end up going to Alabama, but he's going to evaluate his options. And honestly, to, for the kid, like, why wouldn't you? So, it, it, you know, it, it hurts and it sucks on our end when that, when that happens, but it, it's kind of just the, the name of the game. I'm sort of off on a tangent here, but I find this stuff fascinating, and I hope people listening do too because you're someone that worked in it. But, like, is there a certain element where you think you have a kid like that 
And then you start hearing rumblings of like, whether he, it's them pushing him to sign later, them coming back in the picture where you're like, God damn it. And there's just like not much you can do. Like, what is that process? Like when Alabama comes back on a kid or someone like that, you think you have them. Is it just a helpless feeling? I don't want to say helpless because there's been times where we, we've like overcome it. Like sure. with, Nick Bro- with Nick Broker, like Ohio State came into the picture and like Ryan Day's first day on the road was at a Nick Broker uh, basketball game. And you're like, oh shit! Like here we go. Like, we got we got these guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, it can be pretty demoralizing to have put all your effort in a kid that you've evaluated like early on. Maybe you're his first offer, and you're like, man, like you know, we've done all this work just for Alabama to come in at the last second, offer him a scholarship, say wait, and then he waits. Um, it, it it sucks. It, it's also part of like the idea that you know, just because a coach misses on a player he's recruiting like it's the coach's fault all the time it's, it's like the most simplistic thing you can do as a fan is just blame the position coach for missing on a kid when reality is like his job is to do the best thing he could do to get the kid to sign with the whole miss there's always different factors you know there's always different things going on that you don't know about um and that is kind of one of those instances that you really just can't control yeah that in the aspect of, you know, we just came off this coaching search thing, right? Where Kiffin was rumored for jobs. And I mean, hell, I was a big, I was a big deal in Portland for about uh, seven minutes to half a day there. Uh, they love us in the Northwest uh, as well as across the pond over there in Britain. We uh, like there, it's, as much as you talk about like money and fit and lifestyle and resources and stuff like that. I imagine like some head coaches or like guys like a Kiffin or something, or just anyone in general, just the sheer aspect of having that power in recruiting, I imagine is like, everyone wants to make it complicated, but like when you talk about resources, I know that's a vague word. I imagine half the appeal of some of these jobs, when you're talking about a guy moving up from like a good job to a great one, is just the fact that you can come in and be like, what's up? We're Alabama. Like I have your attention automatically instead of having to work for it. That's a huge, like, no, I just don't feel like people talk about that enough because as much as it comes I know people understand it, but like as much as we want to talk about money and, you know, facilities and resources and shit like that, a lot of it is just the brand. Yeah, 100%. Um, being able to be like the head coach at Oregon, you know, that's a weird one because you're in Eugene, but I guess what's well, a better – like Georgia. Yes. I mean, the way Georgia's recruiting right now, they can offer any kid in the country, whether he's in California, New York, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, and they're going to be in it no matter what. They, they're going to be in it. Same with Alabama. They're going to be in that kid's recruitment and going to be a big part of it. And a lot of times they're freaking drafting kids. They're not recruiting kids. <laughs> they're, they're going through their board and picking who they really <laughs> that's want. That's a great line, honestly. No, I mean, that's just, that's what's, that's what's going on. And um, especially if it's in state, like that's when you're killer, you know, LSU to an extent does the same thing. They they threw out some late offers this week to Louisiana kids. One was probably going to go to Ole Miss. The other one committed to Miami. Those kids are going to go to LSU. And, you know, they just threw out the offer there. A week left, probably have been talking to them a little bit, but not that much. And that's just kind of what happens. And um, that coaches definitely know, like, man, this brand is different to different people. And, yeah, like I would love for Ole Miss to be recruiting the top ten every single year, but – that the, those classes were clearly anomalies and not the norm. This is a like a 10 to 15, top 10 to 15 recruiting job. 
you're never going to, I don't think they're going to be in the top 10 anytime soon. Um, should they be and could they be if they keep winning? Sure. But uh, I, it's just a different kind of ball game. You're playing with the diff- these other kinds of programs that have so much more money, facilities, uh, recent history. I mean, Ole Miss, they, they won 10 games this season, but, you know, some kids are like, I don't even know what Ole Miss is, where like Alabama calls. <laughs> it's like, this is Alabama. This is Nick Saban on the phone. Uh, it's, it's a different ball game. It's why the uh, it's why the Clemson deal is such a fascinating story and like love or hate Dabo, but like there, it just doesn't happen that way. I know Clemson had a little bit of history in the eighties, but like the program getting to that level just doesn't really happen, and that's what makes like I don't want to say miraculous, but shit, it's close. Like the the way the level no, they got mirac- to, it's not miraculous, but it's the path that Ole Miss should take. It's you have to start off your your program tenure evaluating as best as anyone out in the country. And that's what Clemson did. And then once you kind of begin to build that roster, you know, all the kids you evaluated, you hit and hit and hit. The second part is to get a generational quarterback. So Clemson, they start hitting, hitting, hitting. They're getting all these amazing receivers. They get a guy like Taj Boyd, who maybe he's not generational, but he's a damn good quarterback you go from him and then finally you get a guy like Sean Watson. And then if you're hitting on the other guys all over the roster, you get a guy like that. I mean, you're going to really be a problem. And then you follow up to Sean with a Trevor Lawrence, cause you've shown that you could do it. Now that's when it starts to roll in your right. favor. It, it, it's a process. It's not a one year thing that you can just be like, all right, we won 10 games. We're just going to recruit at a top five level now. Like that's just not how it works. You've got to prove you can do it consistently and then that's when players are like, all right, you've been there. I've seen you do it with him and everything like that. Now I know I can go there and do it. And Clemson just took that and ran with it, which is a credit to Dabo. Um, of course, they're also like some of the biggest bitches in recruiting in the world um, because they uh, – you know, fun Ooh, story. Shed as much light on that as you want to. I'm all ears. So this is a story I heard about Clemson. They, <laughs> they will get their commits and their signees – and bring them to the compliance department and ask them to tell about everything that happened in their recruitment. And if they hear something dirty, they go and turn in the program. What? <laughs> yes, that's what they do. I, that's, that is a bona fide fact. Um, so I, I can't stand Clemson. I hate them. And I hope that they hire two terrible coordinators and are bad for forever because they, they're – they're a weird bunch up there, and they're really damn good, and they have a great program, but they do do that. Ah, oh, bunch of – that honestly makes me mad, and I don't even really care. Like, just I, narcs. Yeah. I hate narcs. I, <laughs> someone cut narc that one up and put it on our TikTok. I hate narcs. Um, <laughs> so, I usually have this, like, kind of general guide of, like, where I want this to go and what I want to ask you, but there's been so many spontaneous questions – uh, like today, and this is another one of them. Is there anyone else like that? Like, I'm not saying get yourself in trouble here, but are there notorious programs other than Clemson where you're like, these fucking guys again? Like, they just, no, it- no, not really. Um, that's just one story I've heard that we've kind of confirmed. But the SEC, as as we all want to say, everyone's dirty, everyone cheats. But in the reality is that that's probably true. So they don't want to be barking and screwing with everyone else because they know that can come right back to bite them. It's kind of a family environment. You know, you do you, you do me, everyone stay quiet and, you know, the best man wins. But when someone like that does that, it changes everything. And uh, 
you know, it, there, nothing's really come of it, and it is something that's happened, but it's kind of just a loser's mentality, in my opinion. Love that. Uh, yeah, no, it's like the five mafia families. Like, look, they weren't turning each other to the cops. They were just, you know, blowing each other's heads off and trying to gain uh, territory in the underworld. It's kind of an understood Perfect deal. analogy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what, look, they, what they call it, the La Casa Nostra or whatever, where they're all actually in it together type of deal. It's just friendly competition type thing. Um, I want to get to some levy stuff where we get to soccer and get corner and get out of here. But I do want to clean up a couple of things. Uh, just because I know people appreciate your uh, insight on guys having, you know, watched a hell of a lot more film than anyone else on them. So I just want to run through a couple real quick and to make sure I have not missed any. The Deion Smith thing, that's clearly a guy Kiffin covets. Um, you know, he ends up going to LSU, went to a fine high school for his senior year. I'll claim him. I know he was only at JA for a year, so I'll save my party until he's actually like signed papers or whatever. What, uh, what do you remember about him in the recruiting process as a wide receiver? Um, so that was a weird year and that he was the 20 class. So there was like six or seven receivers in that class from Mississippi that were all like highly touted, highly ranked guys. And we were all like, God, like, which one do we want? Do we want Antonio Harmon or Brevard or Deion Smith? And there's a few other ones like Canarius Johnson. And I think there's one or two that I can't remember off the top of my head. And they were all like really highly ranked. Um, and when you kind of went through all of the stuff and you watched these kids and their junior and senior year stuff, it was pretty clear that Dion was by far the best. And Kiffin came in and he had already, Dion had committed to Mississippi State, decommitted, committed to LSU and just never, never showed a whole lot of interest. He really didn't. And it kind of took Kiffin some time to try to figure it out and you know him and Dean X were working on it hard and hard and kind of put us in a better position than we were in the beginning but at the end of the day he wanted to go to LSU and I think Shea Hodge worked uh, played under Ogeron I know he's a an Ole Miss guy but he's also an Ogeron guy it kind of just didn't work in our favor and that was a, a kind of a in my opinion I don't know this for a fact but kind of an eye-opener to Kiffin like okay I'm back in the SEC, but I can't just walk into a room and, like, announce myself as the offensive coordinator of Alabama and have the kid come. Right. I think he, he was a little frustrated with the Dion thing, and I think he's coveted that kid for a while. And clearly there were some things happening, but once he was in the portal, you knew where that one was going. Um, so he's a really good football player. Had some injury issues at LSU and a pretty stacked freshman class receiver that he was going with but he's a really good football player and uh, he, he's going to be a day one kind of guy. I think that cleans up everything on a recruiting standpoint. I appreciate your insight and just kind of giving everyone a look at like how this works. And I mean, I still learn stuff about this every year I cover it because I was never working at a place that like really like had to cover it. It was pretty much a, Hey, get an idea of what these guys are going to do about a month out on signing day, do your signing day deal and get out of there. So I still feel like I'm learning about it. And then, like having someone that work on the inside that I can bounce shitty questions off of always helps as well. So we'll do like a wrap up deal uh, after like the early signing period. I'll probably drop like a Thursday pod where I'll probably kind of do a similar thing. We'll just kind of go through what some guys went after. I, excuse me, what Ole Miss ended up with and like who they are. Um, I did want to get into some Levy stuff before we got out of here. He is now officially the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. We talked about this last Sunday. It seemed to be pointing in that direction. He was a man with a lot of options. The Oklahoma theme seemed to make a lot of sense. I don't think anyone harbors any sort of – I mean, ill will is a dumb way to put it other than fans being angry on message boards. But, like, everyone understands, like, this is a logical career move. You're a Lebby guy for sure. Um, 
and look, everyone, not even just you, the other people that like, the, and it's not very many that I knew that worked around Lebby, like they all swear by him. Honestly, him and John Sumrall are the two most like unanimously like rave at rave about coaches that I've ever heard people that work in that sphere talk about. I wasn't around for a long time, but I don't, I think that does mean something. I wrote about that on Friday. Your thoughts on him just moving on to Oklahoma and kind of what his next career trajectory is, because Honestly, when we talked about it in August, I just figured he'd leave for like a G5 head coaching job. I honestly never had the whole like him leaving for another coordinator position uh, really on like in my mind, even though it makes sense. Just what are your thoughts on the whole move? Yeah, um, I mean, it's funny you say that about him and Summerall because those were the two coaches that I, I directly worked under. Um, Summerall, when I was a student, I was his like I was ma- matched up with him because he recruited Louisiana and I was from there worked with him for two years. And then once, once Levy came, um, I was, I was directly working under him. Um, and they're, they're both awesome. And they, the credit they get is, is very deserved as you've seen with where their careers at. Um, yeah, he, he's going to be a head coach very soon. Um, him going to Oklahoma makes so much sense from so many different angles. I mean, he played there, or he actually went there, and I don't think he ended up playing. I think he got, had an injury, but coached there as a, as a like a student coach, GA and everything. Norman's a great place. It's a top five, top ten job in the country, and he's making a shit ton of money with a full autonomy of the offense, which he pretty much had here too. But, it, you know, it's, it's a – you can call it – maybe a step up it's a better it's a better gig for him it it, it makes sense um i know there's a lot of frustration i've seen on you know just different various platforms about him being there and recruiting for them but could have coached the bowl game and i was gonna ask you about that much much light on that as i can possibly do go ahead so the situation the situation is is he is the offensive coordinator for oklahoma now he is under contract with them that is his job him coaching the Sugar Bowl, whether that happens or not, is is a courtesy. That that is a finishing his job, wanting to do it for Corral, maybe Kiffin Aston too. But like people being frustrated with him recruiting for Oklahoma, like that's that is his job now. Like that, that's what he is paid to do now. That is officially where he is at. Him coaching the Sugar Bowl, like does not have any effect on what he's going to do as the Oklahoma offensive coordinator. It's it's a courtesy and something that he's doing you know, where you see a lot of coaches don't do it. So you just assume that he's going to pull a Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, and just leave in the middle of the night. That's not, that's just not the kind of guy that he is, you know, the corral and him have a pretty awesome relationship and, you know, a sugar bowl, it's not the same, but it's a pretty big deal to win 11 games. And I, I think he'd like to finish that out. I mean, Summerall, I talk about him all the time, but he's going to coach the bowl game for Kentucky. Um, he's a co-defensive coordinator. If you don't think for one second that every waking moment that he's not game planning for Kentucky, he is staff building and recruiting for Troy, you're out of your mind. And no one from Kentucky seems to give a shit about it. That's just how it works. You know, Sonny Cumbie is the head coach of Louisiana Tech now. He's coaching in the bowl game for Texas Tech. You know, it's not – this is no different from those situations. I know it's a head coach. It's a little bit different than an offensive coordinator. I get that. It's the G there's no G five gap, right? Like they're not right. going down or up a level to where even like the guy that like, is it Troy? I mean, that wouldn't even be relevant, but there's no G five barriers. What makes it a little different. So I, yes. And I, I completely understand and get that. But the idea that Levy now that he's working for Oklahoma is currently stabbing 
the program he was just at in the back on recruit on the recruiting trail and trying to recruit kids into the portal to Oklahoma and trying to screw around with with kids that Ole Miss is in on for 22 and 23 is insane. That is not that is not what people do. If that is what he would do, it would get out, and he would never be hired as a head coach ever. That's the ever. that's the selling. But that's the that's the point of emphasis because it's not it's not like even like I saw one place describe it as a gentleman's agreement. That's not even a gentleman's agreement. That's just a bad way to conduct business and market yourself. That's just not how the industry works. No, it's yeah. You can say it's a gentleman's agreement, but like the the kid that decommitted from Florida. I don't know this for a fact, but I can almost guarantee you Ole Miss was not recruiting that kid before he decommitted from Florida. Everyone was scrambling. Yeah, everyone was scrambling once he he decommitted. So the idea that Levy, now he's offensive offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, that he's doing an in-home with a kid that Ole Miss is now kind of recruiting, like that's just doing his job. (laughs) That's it. That's all he's doing is his job. That's not some sort of like backstab to Ole Miss. I understand it because it's probably – Oklahoma's probably going to get him. Which is that's just how the cookie crumbles. That's how it works. That's, right. That's, that's just him doing his job. It, it, he's not sitting there bringing the board and be like, "All right, you know, here's where Ole Miss stands on these guys. We definitely got a good shot with this kid." You know, Dennis Jackson might be in the portal. You know, he can come be our fifth string receiver if you're interested in that. <laughs> that's, that's not right. what's going on. Um, I don't understand the frustration. I, I don't get it. That's that would be a career suicide for him to to tamper and screw around with the Ole Miss roster. And, you know, screw with the recruits for the next year. It just, you know, it just it just ludicrous to me that people are frustrated by it. It's just him doing his job. That's Above it. all else, he seems like a decent dude. Like, even if nothing yeah. else, like he's not – he doesn't – look, I mean, I get the industry is what it is, but he doesn't seem like a, a, a fraudulent Brian Kelly type, no. I guess, would be a, one example. Yeah, I mean, there's that. And then, obviously, like he's got some tough background things to overcome. I'm sure you saw right. plenty of that on Twitter with his Baylor issues and – I'm not even going to comment on those because, you know, there's just a lot there. Um, but so if your point is those, that he needs to mind his P's and Q's to kind of right. what fairly or unfairly build that back up, like, and just make sure like he can't afford to screw up. There's guys that can and can't, and he can't. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, the Baylor stuff, fair or not, is strike one. If you find out that you're backstabbing a program that you're just at and screwing with them, that's strike two. You'll never be a head coach ever. And by the way, Nobody, this might be the ultimate reason he's coaching the Sugar Bowl. Nobody wants to beat the shit out of Baylor more than Jeff Levy. <laughs> I, think I didn't even think if, about that angle. That's, that's incredible. If Ole Miss was playing like Notre Dame at Sugar Bowl, I would say it would be like more like 75 25. He doesn't coach in the game and just moves on to Oklahoma. But the fact that it's Baylor, that might be more than anything the driving force behind him staying and coaching for the Sugar Bowl. We were supposed to play them in 19 or 20, in, excuse me, 20 in, or 2020. Yeah. Yeah. It was COVID. Opening game in Houston. Um, there was nobody more excited about that game than Jeff Levy and Joe John. Finley. <laughs> nobody. And that team was shit too. There was a chance that if Ole Miss came out and played well, they were going to put up like 80 points if they had the opportunity to do it. So don't act like it's just you get it over the Jeff Levy still. It, it, it's done. It's over. He's doing his job. That's literally it. You may have just answered that in part, but the only other thing I really wanted to ask you about this was what do you think the decision and the driving force was um, for him to become, uh, excuse me, to stick around and coach the bowl game? 
because I think part of it's the relationship with Corral. I do think there's some like purity and simpleness in the fact that, Hey, let's finish what we started here. You just mentioned it earlier. Winning 11 games is rare. It's hard. Just your best guess as to how that went down and like why you think he's doing it because it is a little unconventional. It's not like completely unheard of, but it's not common, I guess would be the way to phrase it. So like, what do you think went into that? Yeah, I understand the the non-conventional style that it is going from OC to OC, a different school. Uh, One that's also playing in a bowl game um, and a pretty big one. Um, My guess is it's probably just a combination of the things that everyone would assume it's, you know, Kiffin would like him to. He wants to finish out this season on a high note. Winning 11 games, no matter where you are, is a big deal. Were you surprised um, he was cool with it? Kiffin. Who? Were you surprised Kiffin was cool with it, or do you think he would just make life easier on him? I think he probably wanted him to, so he okay. didn't have to call it. And Sorry, continue. I derailed you. I was just curious about that. No, no, no. You know, you, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but, you know, his relationship with Corral, like, that's a real thing. Like, people, these, these people are humans. Like, they have friends, and they care about people. Um, despite them moving from job to job. And I think finishing out Corral's last game as offensive coordinator is a huge deal. Um, and then finally, it's Baylor. And he wants to beat them very, very badly, wants to embarrass them at any level. So just a combination of things that people would assume makes me believe that that's why he's doing it, which I haven't even seen it confirmed. Right. It's it's just – it sounds like it's assumed. Look, Chase and Neil yeah. have reported it. Uh, I don't want to get them in trouble. I think they've reported it. It, it is not official. That is for sure. But it right. seems to be trending so, in that direction. This could all be null, but just in that sense, um, you know, it makes it makes sense for those reasons why he would be saying. Last two things before we get to soccer corner. Along with that lines, it did seem like Ole Miss's uh, quarterback situation next year was. I don't want to say short up in a certainty, but if Jeff Levy had stayed, which I don't even know how likely that ever was, despite everyone being kind of focused on the Kiffin thing and not thinking about that possibility was doing Gabriel, the kid from UCF coming over It would make a ton of sense. He transfers, right? Lebby Ole Miss seems to have their quarterback position uh, solidified for at least 2021. I don't remember how many years of eligibility uh, Gabriel has left. Doesn't matter. What do you just in your gut? Who do you think is the quarterback for Ole Miss next fall for the opening uh, season opener against whomever the hell it is? And if that's too open-ended and impossible to answer, do you think it's Dylan Gabriel or the field? Uh, oh, I, you know, it's tough. I haven't asked anybody in there because, like like we've said multiple times. I don't think know, they know. I don't think they know. And we're not a recruiting breaking podcast, and I am never going to work. Is that – that's just not – I don't ever want – I don't want to be a recruiting writer or do anything like that. So I just don't care enough to go ask them. Um, so sorry, listeners, that's just not going to happen on here. Um, my guess would be the field. Okay. Uh, I don't have a really real reason for that. Um, I, that's just kind of the sense I'm getting, you know, the longer that these portal guys last out there, you know, he took a visit and now he's taking more visits. Usually when that happens with these portal guys, it's like they haven't made up their mind and, you know, maybe we thought we had them initially and now that's changed. And I would think that would change with them. I would probably guess this Ward kid would be more likely than Gabriel at this point, unless he takes more visits. And then you could probably just start to see where you're going there. And then there was a lot of Rattler buzz even before this weekend with some people I listened to, like there was, it was real. Yeah. And then it was, and then it wasn't. (laughs) 
So I don't know where they stand on him or what's going on there. Um, so of those three, I would probably still take the field. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I feel like he'll get some resolution there probably in the next few weeks. The one thing Ole Miss has – I say the one thing. One of the things Ole Miss has going for them, though, it's a like it's an easy thing to sell. Like, I'm not saying they're going to get their pick of the litter or whomever they want, but it's it seems like it's an easy thing to sell right now, even with Levy leaving, because Lane Kiffin, known as an offensive mind, I get that it was Levy's offense, but it's like, look, like, we just won 10 games, might be 11 – and turn Matt Corral into a Heisman contender and potentially the number one, not the number one pick, first quarterback taken in the draft. And, like, did you see who he's throwing to? Like, the roster's not that talented. Just I, I don't want to make the selling pitch for them, but it does seem like an appealing position. So it's not like they're going to have a hard time convincing guys to have interest in it. It is, you know, it's an easy sell in some senses, at least it would seem like on the surface. Right. You know, I mean, you, you would think um, it's just not always that simple. You know, think kids have different priorities of what they want, where they want to be. Um, and then sometimes it's always on the other end. You know, I've always said this, but like a lot of people that cover recruiting, like you never really know exactly what the staff thinks about a player. You know, you can be writing these stories. I remember last year, like, I guess uh, Ty Cooper was a guy that always came up. From, from Louisville, Mississippi, as like a huge old Miss Mississippi State battle. And we weren't recruiting it for six months. And that will say the same in the portal. You, you don't exactly know what Ole Miss is thinking, even though they bring these kids on visits. It might not go well. It might not be a fit, you know, even with Rattler. Like maybe they don't even want him. It's, it's not that's, – that could be definitely impossible. And maybe they really want this Ward kid. So nobody knows except for the people in that building. So it, it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens uh, in the future. Um, last thing on that part of it is like, there's an offensive coordinator void to fill. It seems like particularly if Levy is going to coach the bowl game, they don't really have to rush it. And so do you think that hurts their chances at landing a transfer portal quarterback yeah. or just anywhere else, not having the offensive coordinator? How much stock do you put into them needing one? Because it doesn't sound like they're going to rush the hire. I don't think they need to rush it, but it is an interesting thing to consider from the recruiting front when you do have the most important position on the field to fill next year. Yeah, no, I, I think it definitely hurts, especially with portal kids, probably less with high school kids, because um, a lot of the high school kids, you know, some will commit to a coach, but a lot of the times they commit to a program and hopefully a kid like that, because that's how you should do it. Um, I think it's going to hurt with some portal guys. You know, you can go to a place like, you know, wherever, and you've got it all in place and that all this, you know, they're, you know, 10 and two, obviously, and going to the Sugar Bowl, there are a lot of success, especially in offense, but you don't know who's coaching you. It's pretty tough at, to make an educated decision. And these kids have a little bit more education because they've been in college before. Um, I don't obviously don't know who they're going to hire. Uh, I mean, you got to think about, you know, the portal kids this year. You got to think about the kids you're going to be recruiting, obviously, with Arch and stuff like that in the next few years. So I don't think you really have to rush it, but the idea that it's not going to hurt shouldn't be uh, taken lightly. Why do you think Kiffin didn't call plays, and do you think he'd ever do it again? Um, probably because it's it's just too much. You know, when you're a head coach, you're doing so much less coaching and more just being a manager, doing media, you know, handling players and portal and the coaches and all of that. To have all that on your plate and be calling games on game day in the SEC is just incredibly difficult. It's just so much to do, too much to do. Um, I mean, people say like, oh, yeah, he had Kendall call the plays. Charlie Weiss called the plays, too, at FAU. So Kiffin is a head coach. Like, yeah, he has his hands on a lot of different things, but 
that doesn't mean he's just, you know, hiring a, you know, a, a pseudo, like a, just a, a Photoshop of an offensive coordinator, right. You know, just a big poster having him up there and not doing anything, you know, it, you don't see it very often. Um, I know there are still schools that do it. And I just don't think that's a practice that he should do. I think he should hire an offensive coordinator that he trusts can help him get acclimated to the old Miss and the SEC. That's great. He's been there. He has the experience, but he got got someone that can call plays. You don't want him calling plays. Yeah, I agree. And I'm like, I, I, the, going with the whole, like, who do you think it's going to be? I think it's futile because I think it's one, it's too early. And two, Kiffin keeps things pretty uh, close yeah, to the best as anything no else. Idea. Plus, oh, go ahead. Have you got something else? No, no. I'm just thinking, like, I have no idea they're going to hire. Nobody. I have no idea. I mean, every time he made a hire, like, I mean, I'm in the building and then all of a sudden the guy just shows up. Like, I don't, it, nobody really knows. That's literally how he handles it. So, nobody's going to know this thing until it leaks out or they just announce it. I would love to be on the fly on the wall with Lane Kiffin, the job interviewer, because like whatever you think about Luke, he and Rich Rodriguez went and had Coors Lights at the graduate. And I just like, I don't think Kiffin handles that the same way. Uh, not that that's better or worse or anything. I'm just curious, like what he's like as an, as a job interviewer, because he's an interesting cat to say the least. We have more important. No, matters. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, he, um, he, he takes the job interview stuff pretty seriously. Oh, no, uh, I bet he things, does. I just am curious. Of like, all the things he, like, doesn't take seriously. Yeah, of all the things he doesn't take seriously, um, he takes that very seriously. I, mean, I remember Levy was in the building for, like, two or three days, and I was like, who the hell is this big guy in the offensive room? Uh, and they were like, oh, that's Jeff Levy. I'm like, he's been here for three days. Like, he's been interviewing for three days. <laughs> like, that's what he's just been doing. So, he uh, that's why he's pretty good at it because he, he takes – you know, some pride in it. He takes it seriously. So you'll know when it happens, but I have some pretty trust him pretty much on that. He'll figure okay. it out. Got a good batting average. But speaking of uh, things that are taken seriously, it is now time for the main course of this uh, podcast. It is soccer corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil. I have the English premier league fixtures up been a big week over across the pond, man city, number one in the premier league, Liverpool, number two, Chelsea steadily climbing, uh, to be honest, I didn't have time to look at like who won stuff. Not that that helps me anyway. Uh, I'll open the floor to you. What happened? Um, kind of a lackluster week. Oh, shoot, sorry, just dropped my phone. I'm pulling up the tables as well. Um, in the Premier League, it kind of went, you know, as you would expect. Uh, uh, let's see, I'm looking at some of these games. I mean, Man City beat a team they're better than. Arsenal beat a team they're better than. Chelsea beat Leeds. Liverpool won. United won. I mean, everyone kind of went null. The Bees won an emotional comeback win on Friday. Battle of the uh, Insects. Had- they beat someone called a Hornet. I saw that. So, yeah. The big, day for the, uh, big day for the Insects. Yep. So, the Insects are winning. I had the over two and a half goals there. Good job, nice. Bees. Um. But now they're kind of getting into the midweek games. Like I said earlier, they uh, they kind of shrink the schedule. So uh, big day on uh, big day on Tuesday. The Brentford Bees play Manchester United. Let's go! So we'll uh, we'll be live have to streaming that to one each other for an entire day or something. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, maybe it's an excuse for me to tweet at them. One day I'm going to tweet at yeah. them and tell them I stopped buying season tickets. Exactly. No. So. Uh, there was Champions League this week, so that's done. The uh, Champions League draw is tomorrow, um, which is kind of a, a cool deal. They uh, they just draw names out of a out of a bucket to see who plays in the round of sixteen. All the one seeds that won their groups play the the two seeds that got second in their groups. Wait, so they did, they did. back that up. Why they're drawing names out of a hat? Hat? Why? So 
it so instead of having like a a drawn out bracket for the Champions League, they play in their groups. They play, you know, each team twice, home and a road, and then the winner of the groups are in one portal. The second place teams are in another portal, and then the third place teams all get bumped down to the Europa League competition. Scrubs. Or not all of them, but some of them. Okay. So then tomorrow, instead of being like, oh, the Group A winner plays two in Group G, they put all the teams back <laughs> in a uh, basically a lottery machine. And they spit out the group winners who are playing the second place teams, which has never, ever brought up any controversy ever <laughs> doing it that way. So uh, it's, it's a pretty cool deal. It's actually pretty interesting to watch. Uh, you know, they have this whole like Heisman ceremony and they bring in all these fancy people from all over the world. It's, it's kind of weird. It's like a Hunger Games-esque <laughs> vibe to it. Um, and they just draw names out of the little bucket, and uh, that's who they play in the next round. And then it kind of goes from there. They draw names in the bucket literally every single round after the round of 16 <laughs> until they get to, like, the semifinals, and then uh, obviously they play the finals. That's unbelievable. Why? Yeah. I, I guess I can't even ask why because it doesn't seem like there's any logic. That is insane. I Damn it, I love this sport. Um <laughs> Like, I don't understand it's anything wild. about this. And I'm sure there's, you know, like we're arrogant Americans here. Like, if if I sat down some British guy over some fish and chips and was like, hey, let me tell you about the NBA draft salary cap, he'd be like, why do you, you guys do anything the way you do it? So I guess it's both ways, but that makes no sense to me. Our, um, our take on uh, just, I guess they call them ninnies over there instead of sissies, the sleeve guys in the snow, gloves in the snow. That's we've been tagged in some stuff to where it's not even snowing and guys are wearing sleeves, which I find just personally disgraceful. Um, West Ham hanging there in fourth man United creeping back up to fifth. So I don't know what they've done in the last couple of matches, but it seems like this new hire has worked. They're playing better football. They're playing better. It's not exactly a pretty product. Okay. Uh, they've beaten, two, they've beaten two really bad teams um, and they haven't exactly done it with a whole lot of uh, pizzazz, I guess you could say with a whole lot of class, but at this point in the season, it's about winning, and they've been doing that. And uh, hopefully that will continue against the Bees on Tuesday. But they're, they're in a better spot than they have been. Uh, coaching change was needed. They actually have um, the first American assistant coach uh, that Man United's ever had, which is pretty cool for the U.S. Go team. Um, so that's that's a cool deal. And then uh, the international break's coming up at some point soon, and there'll be, they'll be more – world cup qualifiers i just don't i don't know when that is i think it's like a few weeks away and it sounds like the the blue blood programs or blue blood clubs here are starting to separate themselves a little bit as you get deeper in the season because you have man city one liverpool two two chelsea three west ham still hanging strong in there at four but like if you remove them and just like took them out the next two clubs would be man united arsenal and tottenham like that seems like all is right in the world in terms of the clubs that are supposed to be good performing well so i guess i'll i'll leave it up to you i know man united had been you know i guess disappointing up until this point you had a manager sacking is there any sort of just like what the hell are these guys doing because it seems like even the ones that were struggling earlier uh the clubs that are supposed to be good have kind of figured it out is there anything that sticks out where it's like what the hell's going on here no, not really. It's turning out to be what this league usually is and what kind of every league is, is the, the big boys come to play um, and they figure it out at the end. Um, but the whole the whole point of the Premier League, obviously you want to win it, but you got to get your Champions League spot. 
Sure. And so, that's top. So how, got, how many? What's, top what's the top whatever? So the top four go to the Champions League. The fifth place team uh, goes to the Europa League. Okay. And then sometimes the fifth place team can go into like a Champions League playoff format. And I don't totally remember how that works, but basically top four Champions League, fifth team automatically to the Europa League. Um, which is like the second league, which is still – it's a pretty, pretty big deal. But, like, for a team like United, that's an absolute failure. Um, for a team like, you know, Leicester or Brentford, that would be, like, a resounding success. So, it, it's kind of a weird goal-oriented uh, deal to it. But it also – it's kind of makes it more interesting the way they've just set up the sport. Like, there's, there's more than just winning the championship, which kind of keeps everyone's hopes alive. There's multiple competitions. You know, there, there's so much to play for and to win for. There's so many matches. It's different than the NFL where it's like week by week you're living and dying, whereas there, there's a lot more to play for, which is why, you know, people are so into it. It's given the next tier of clubs like a little bit of opportunity. Like my Brentford Bees have climbed all the way back up to 10. They're seven points behind fifth place. That doesn't seem like a completely – I mean, look, it didn't sound like a great shot at it, but it's not completely like insurmountable. And kind of the same deal with uh, – I mean, there's a couple other clubs in here. What Wolverhampton, Leeds, Chester, uh, Leicester City, Crystal Palace is in the mix too. It's giving clubs like that a crack at kind of like, I guess, getting to that next status is what it sounds like. Yeah, but then for a team like Brentford, you know, they're nine points clear of relegation. And that for them, that's, that's like the huge. Important that's another year of Premier League money, another year of buying and selling players and being more established. Um, instead of, you know, yo-yoing back and forth between the championship and the Premier League, the more – for them, staying up is is huge. Now, if they somehow scheme a, a fifth-place run and you're in their Europa League as a team that for 75 years wasn't even in the Premier League and you're playing European soccer, that's just a whole different kind of boost for them. So there is a lot to play for, but it's always like kind of different different goals, I guess you could say, for some of these teams. Last thing, what's the overall integrity of this sport? Because the reason I ask is uh, our my second team, shadow team, whatever you want to call it, Newcastle United, big Saudi rich guys, they're still in 19th, and they're still on track to be relegated. I know we still have the whatever the Brit version of uh, free agency is. I get that's coming up, and that could change things. With that aside, last week of the uh, EPL season – What's the uh, what's the integrity level of this sport? Because I imagine they might want three hundred uh, three hundred billion dollar owned club to not be relegated. So would would the fix come <laughs> in? What's what's the deal there? Like we're gonna have a. Uh, I just listened to a podcast on the. Uh, I can't remember that guy's name now. Uh, the the ref that fixed games in the NBA. We're we gonna have that kind of situation. What's this like? Oh yeah yeah. Um, Tim Donahue. There yeah. we go. It's pretty. It's 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 this sport is not above some bullshit. Uh, Love that. I think that's that's pretty true. Um, they're only three points out of not being relegated, as terrible as they've been. Um, and then once they kind of, you know, they got this new ownership, they're going to spend a, an ungodly amount of money in the transfer window coming up, which is like starts in like January. So okay. you're going to see that, and that that's we that's always fun to follow. Um, and I, I don't see them getting relegated. They're going to spend so much money. Like, it'll be, uh, like, just insane if they do. They're going to buy some of the best players in the world, and these guys are just going to be hired assassins <laughs> for I the Saudi Yeah. And On they're, a 19th place club. Yeah. Living in Newcastle, England, which is, like, the northernmost team, like, the shittiest place to be. Um, actually, I don't know if it's shitty or not, but I know it's, like, really far north and really cold. 
Um, it's not exactly Paris or Barcelona or, or Munich or some of these other places, but these guys are going to accept their $100 million and fly the Newcastle flag coming here soon. Uh, I don't see them getting relegated. Uh, they're not going to let that happen. This has been the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. I guess someone asked me the end goal. I had a listener uh, DM me what the end goal of soccer corner was. And I was like, I don't think there is an end goal, but uh, maybe to get sponsored by an EPL team, I set the bar high. So maybe the, you know, 2025 soccer corner could be presented by uh, a bunch of Saudis. So fingers crossed. We're still working to that goal every day. He is Weldon Rodenberg, former old Mr. Recruiting Specialist. I appreciate the time as always. I think people will enjoy this because I think they like to understand the inner workings of how this stuff works. So uh, great stuff as always, my man. And we'll do a uh, a little more brief and concise um, kind of post-wrap-up pod after the early signing period. I appreciate it, dude. Oh, a little in news before we head oh, out okay. here. Quinn, Breaking? Quinn Ewers is headed to Texas. That kid was always staying in Texas, wasn't he? Yeah, so – who knows how much money he just made? Like literally who knows it, it is, it could be ungodly. I saw the reports that it's like first round NFL money. This kid could legitimately get like $10 million. I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I look, just saw it on my Twitter feed as we're, as we're leaving here. Uh, that'll have a, an effect on a lot of different things. Not, not necessarily old Miss related, but that's a fascinating development. And the other side of it was he took the like the reason he did this whole deal to go to Ohio State in the first place was money and based. I wonder how much money he actually made on that. Like, I wonder what the NIL, you know, that's another thing people haven't talked about. What's the NIL process when, you know, you sign a deal and then all of a sudden, you know, Oxford Chevron four corners guy is playing at ULL or something like I know that's a different example. But like, how does that work? I'm curious to see how much money he's already pocketed versus like leaving on the table. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine they sign these deals, and that's kind of that. Like, you don't just get to back out of it if you're the the guy giving the kid the deal, um, unless there's, like, installments or something in the contract. But for for this kid's case, I mean, it might not matter. He might be making so much in Texas that, you know, who cares? What did you know about him? What's his deal? How good is he, do you think? He was the best quarterback I evaluated in my three years there. And it was it was him. He was the best. Um, didn't even go to a lot of camps until the end of it. Um, he is a hell of a football player. He might not have the attitude to be a winner. And I don't know that just because he transferred doesn't mean that he doesn't have it, but I don't know what his deal is from a pure skill set standpoint, as good as anyone I've ever watched. I think Caleb Williams was probably the second best I ever watched. Uh, this, this kid was the best quarterback I ever evaluated. And that was kind of a pretty consensus there. Um, the, the kid that's going to Clemson from Westlake is pretty damn good too. And he's, uh, he's up there. There's some other kids I've watched in the past that were like, had different traits that were elite, but this kid had a lot of it. He's, he could be as good as, as anybody. Uh, does he have the mindset? I don't know. Interesting so stuff. We'll see. we'll see how it shakes out. Um, that's obviously a big one for Sark because that was a tough, uh, tough year one there. He is Weldon Rodenberg. We'll uh, we'll catch back up on Thursday, and then finally we'll give you some semblance of an offseason. I appreciate the effort, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Till next time. All right, that is our show. I appreciate you guys making us a part of your day wherever you're listening out there, and hope you've had a great kickstart to your week. Little different schedule this week. Weldon and I are going to do a post game, or excuse me, post recruiting deal after signing.